Today we are reacting to the news that the Broncos will coach the North team in the Senior Bowl. We'll dissect the new coaching hires and talk about some free agent QBs. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle. It's time to drop some knowledge. We're in 2018. Can you believe it? I'm your host, Chad Jensen, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital, holding down the fort solo today with my partner, Will Keys, headed out of town. But there's been a lot happening in Broncos country that we need to address, we need to dissect, and we're going to get to that today. But first, understand that Huddle Up is here to give you a deep dive on your favorite team, the Denver Broncos, whether that's personnel, coaching, uh, NFL draft, free agency. But we need your help. We can't grow this show without you. So if you haven't done it, take a second, go to iTunes, rate the show, and leave a creative review. Very important to us. Or if you're on Android, go to Stitcher. Same thing. We appreciate it. And, of course, make sure you're following the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod and Mile High Huddle on Facebook and Twitter at Mile High Huddle. And make sure you're subscribing because we are in 2018. Things are getting hectic. Things are going to get crazy. It's an absolutely critical offseason, and you're not going to want to miss a single episode. I do have a lot to get to today, but first, I want to say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. Get a free audiobook download, you guys, and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. Over 180,000 different titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash huddle up. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal app that allows you to get through the books that you want to read without having to sit down and actually turn the pages. So you can do it while you're at the gym like I did today driving on your commutes, in the kitchen, wherever. Plus, you get a 30-day free trial and one free book to see if you like it. Obviously, you like listening to stuff. You like the audible medium. So give it a shot. I can guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. You'll come back to us. You'll say, thank you for turning me on to Audible. So go to audibletrial.com slash huddle up, sign up. And again, great way to support the show so we can keep bringing you these episodes multiple times per week. All right, so the first thing I want to touch on uh, today is the coaching hires. Of course, last week the Broncos entered Black Monday and uh, did exactly what you expected them to do, which was fire multiple coaches, none of whom, of course, were Vance Joseph. But they fired six coaches, and last week they hired three, uh, and this week they've hired three more. And that might be about it. You know, actually, there's 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 one position, the outside linebackers, they haven't filled yet. But we're going to touch on that. And first off, they finally filled the coordinator position. Three coordinators on a team. Broncos have an offensive coordinator. They're promoted. Bill Musgrave, they have a defensive coordinator, Joe Woods. But after firing Brock Olivo, there was a big hole in the coaching staff, and they filled it with Tom McMahon. Now, McMahon is a 26-year coaching veteran who has coached special teams at the pro level for the past 11 seasons. Now, he most recently was in Indy as the special teams coordinator from 2013 to 2017 after holding the same position with Kansas City in 2012 and then St. Louis before that for three years. Quote, here's what Vance Joseph said about the McMahon hire. Quote, we're very excited to add Tom McMahon to our staff. He's an experienced special teams coach with a direct teaching style that emphasizes fundamentals. Tom has a proven track record developing young players on special teams and will bring leadership and energy to an important phase of our team. Closed quote. Now the Colts, uh, they had one of the most consistent special teams units during his McMahon's five seasons in Indy. They ranked in the league's top five in field goal percentage. They were number three. Net, <clears throat> excuse me, net punting average. They were ranked third. Gross punting average ranked fourth, and then kickoff return average ranked fifth during that span. That's impressive after what inconsistencies and ups and downs the Broncos suffered last year in 2017 under Olivo on special teams. Now you go back, you look at some of his bona fides, you look at his resume. Under McMahon, three Colts special teamers combined for five Pro Bowl selections playing under him. Of course, there was punter Ma uh, Pat McAfee, 
who made the Pro Bowl in 2014 and 2016. And he vociferously congratulated McMahon on Twitter upon hearing the Broncos signed him or hired him. Um, and he's a guy that's now retired and he's in media speaking about McAfee, funny guy over at Barstool Sports, Barstool Heartland. But uh, go check that out if you haven't. Check out his tweet congratulating McMahon on his uh, coming to Denver. And McMahon, uh, Pat McAfee, he was one of the best punters in the NFL during that time, and and they credit a lot of that to Tom McMahon. But also you have the kicker, Adam Vinatieri, who made a Pro Bowl in 2014, and the long snapper, Matt Overton, in 2013. So this guy comes with some bona fides. In 2017, the Colts were one of just four clubs to produce multiple special teams takeaways without, and here's key, committing a turnover on those units. That comes as great news to the Denver Broncos, who suffered multiple uh, muffed fumbles, turnovers that absolutely swung games. Indy was also one of just two teams to allow fewer than 100 punt return yards um, as their punter, Rigoberto Sanchez, ranked fourth in the NFL in his 42.6-yard net punting average that broke the NFL rookie record set by you-know-who, Riley Dixon, in 2016. Uh, you, you can go through and look at some of McMahon's bona fides. We can go through it in even more detail. But the reality is, this is a, this is a good get. This is a get for the Broncos. You know, the, the previous two years, you had Joe DeCamillis, who was instrumental in the Broncos' successes in 2016, holding down the fort when Gary Kubiak got sick. And, of course, seeing Jordan Norwood take the that punt in the Super Bowl 50-61 yards, not quite to the house, but it set up a very important field goal. So the Broncos lacked that kind of veteran stability, that experience at the most, one of the most, I should say, important phases on the field. And it's, special teams is one of those things where, as fans, it's easy to get bored and not really pay attention to what's happening with special teams. You really only notice when something good or bad happens. But when something bad happens, oh my goodness, do you notice it. And you realize why coaches and, and GMs and front office guys value stability in the third phase because it absolutely can swing the destiny of a game and, of course, affect the entire outcome of a season. So getting a guy like McMahon, who's got tons of experience, compared to a guy like Brock Olivo, who was a coordinator for the first time when the Broncos hired him, a first-time coordinator, rookie coordinator, if you will. Getting a guy like McMahon is, an, is a great opportunity to steady the ship and bring some stability to Brandon McManus, get him back on point, get Riley Dixon back on point, try and figure out if Isaiah McKenzie, for all his explosive playmaking ability, if he's salvageable, if he's a guy that can even be trusted to field punts. Maybe there's something that was missing in terms of the coaching and the teaching and the technique that was being instructed to him by Olivo. And hopefully, you know, he is an explosive player, so I hope there's a chance he can turn it around. And if so, McMahon might be the guy to help him do that. So overall, of all the coaching hires that we're going to go through today, let me just say that the hiring of Tom McMahon is the one for me that I think was the biggest and is probably going to have the greatest effect on this team moving forward as we know it. Now, the, the Broncos also, and this was last week, they hired Sean Coogler to, to coach offensive line, but only the guards and centers, which is interesting. We're going to talk more about that. He replaces, in part, Jeff Davidson, who was fired on Black Monday. Now, Coogler, 28 years of coaching experience, 18 seasons of experience uh, coaching the offensive line. This will be his 12th year uh, coaching in the NFL, having previously coached for Detroit, Buffalo, and Pittsburgh. But over the last five years, he's been out of the NFL. He's been the head coach of his alma mater, UTEP, the University of Texas, El Paso. But if you go back and look at some of his pro experience, you look at his resume, Kugler, three years coaching the offensive line in Pittsburgh, the Steelers averaged more than 350 yards per game. They made the postseason twice. The offensive line paved the way for an 1,000-yard rusher in Richard Mendenhall, who broke 1,200 yards that year in 2010, uh, as they advanced to the Super Bowl that year. And then you look at the center, Marquise Pouncey, made his first three Pro Bowls under Kugler from 2010 to 2012, also uh, an all-pro choice all three years as well. So you can go through he's, he's, his offensive lines at the pro level. Kugler's have spawned multiple 1,000-yard rushers and 
the interesting tie as well, which his partner in crime, who we're going to talk about here in a minute, Chris Strausser, also has ties, is to Boise State. Before joining the Bills, Kugler spent one season as an assistant head coach and offensive line guy at Boise State University. Former Broncos tackle Ryan Clady earned first-team All-American honors playing under Kugler as a Boise State Bronco, finished the 2006 season with a perfect 13-0 record, did the Broncos. And, of course, that was the school's first-ever BCS bowl game berth. So this is a guy I'm really excited about. I think he can help get better production and kind of stabilize the Broncos' interior. But he is going to be coaching in tandem with Chris Strausser. So the Broncos are doing something a little bit different. Rather than hiring one offensive line coach like last year in Jeff Davidson to be the offensive line guy and maybe have an assistant, they're splitting the focus, hiring two coaches to essentially coach one room. But they're splitting it up between guards and centers. That's one. That's Kugler's domain and tackles, which will be coached by Chris Strausser. Now, Strausser was with the Broncos last year. He was Davidson's assistant, but his future was a little bit uncertain when the Broncos fired Davidson, a little bit up in the air, but they ended up rehiring him, re-signing him to coach tackles alongside Sean Kugler. Now, Strausser's bona fides, just a quick overview, 29 seasons coaching. Before joining the Broncos, Strausser coached the offensive line for 19 seasons at the collegiate level, most recently serving as associate head coach offensive line for the University of Washington from 14 to 16. So you go through his ties to Boise State, talking about that with Kugler. He, uh, Strausser, served as offensive line coach and run game coordinator for Boise State from 2010 to 2013, adding the responsibilities as assistant head coach in 2013. So he's got some experience doing a little bit more of the heavy lifting uh, as a coach. But during that time, Boise State surrendered just 36 sacks to rank second in the nation during that four-year period. Now that's key, right? Because the tackles, especially in the AFC West, that's the point of attack when it comes to the pass rush. Virtually every team in the division has two guys coming off the edge that can wreak absolute havoc. So for the Broncos, being able to pass protect, being able to, to keep the quarterback, uh, the edges clean, keep the pressure off the edges, is paramount. And his history, Strausser, being able to get that done at different levels of the coaching game is proven. He also coached Broncos center Matt Paradis uh, at Boise State, who converted from defensive line to become a second-team All-Mountain West Conference selection for Boise State in 2012 and 2013 before the Broncos selected him in the sixth round of the 2014 draft. So kind of an interesting take. I wouldn't quite call it innovative because I'm sure this has been done before, but the Broncos are, in a sense, bucking tradition by having multiple guys coach the same room. So splitting it up between guard centers and then tackles. It'll be interesting to see if a position that has plagued the Broncos so much for the last several years. I mean, really, the last year the Broncos had a semblance of stability on the offensive line was 2014, which is also the last season in which Ryan Clady was able to start and finish the same season at left tackle for the Broncos. So three seasons in a row, it's been a, a just a, a bad area for the Broncos. It's been one of their their uh, roster weaknesses, and they're hoping that by doing something a little bit different, bringing in two guys, splitting it up, compartmentalizing it a little bit, and specializing on the positions is going to be able to net some better returns for the team moving forward. And I'm interested in it. You know, the, the Vance Joseph is having a little bit more, I don't know how much exactly, but he, from all reports, is having more control over these coaching decisions Multiple guys he just inherited when he took the job. Elway said, look, this guy, that guy, you know, Studisville, Tyke Tolbert, these guys are, are your coaches here and there. And, you know, he, he hired some of his own guys, which was clear in Brock Olivo, Mike McCoy. Joe Woods was a guy that basically Joseph was kind of, it was kind of forced on Joseph. But Woods is okay. That's, that's a topic for another, another day. But this is something that having two guys to coach one position I got to wonder how much of that is coming from Vance Joseph and that has been gleaned from his year of coaching as a head coach, seeing some of the challenges, seeing some of uh, the, the ups and downs, learning from that and going, you know what, I think what could help us get better results at the offensive line level is bringing in two guys to specialize. So it'll be interesting to see exactly 
how it shakes out in 2018. Now, the Broncos also, moving on, hired Mike Sullivan to coach the quarterbacks who replaces Clint Kubiak, who replaced, of course, Bill Musgrave midseason when Mike McCoy was fired. Now, Sullivan is a coach who's done it for 23 years, including 15 seasons in the NFL. He served as offensive coordinator for the Giants the last two seasons under Ben McAdoo. In 2017, Sullivan took over offensive play calling for the Giants in Week 6 and continued that responsibility through the remainder of the season. Now, going back to, to his first, Sullivan's first season as offensive coordinator for the Giants, in 2016, the team finished 11-5. and And that was the year, of course, everyone thought Ben McAdoo was a genius. Tom Coughlin had been jettisoned in, in essence. And it looked like Eli Manning and the Giants were going to make some noise. And then they completely regressed in 2017, which resulted in Ben McAdoo getting fired. But if you look at what Eli Manning did, uh, he recorded his fifth 4,000-yard season under Sullivan in 2016, and wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. ranked third in the NFL with 1,367 uh, receiving yards. Of course, Beckham was injured for most of 2017. But you go back before his, his second stint with the Giants, Sullivan spent two seasons as an offensive coordinator for Tampa Bay, did some nice things with Doug Martin, Josh Freeman. He helped get over 4,000 yards as a passer. Uh, in 2012, which is quite the accomplishment if you're Mike Sullivan. But even before that, he won two Super Bowls with the Giants during his first eight seasons there in New York. He actually was on staff when Eli Manning joined the Giants in 2004 when he was traded from San Diego. And from there, he worked closely, played a key role in the development of Eli Manning, also coached the receivers as well as the quarterback. So you look at some of his successes, Sullivan, and, you know, it can't hurt. He's got experience developing a young guy, a young high-round quarterback like Eli Manning, and then also being there for the long haul in terms of not just getting him there, but once Eli Manning arrived as a bona fide elite quarterback. And I'll say it, I do think that Eli Manning in his prime was one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL, not necessarily in terms of the Star Wars numbers, to, to quote Jim Ursay, but in terms of winning, putting up championships, and his stats were always above average. They are always really good. He was just never quite one of those guys like his brother Peyton, breaking offensive records and you know racking up Pro Bowls left and right. But I do believe he is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, one of the top ten quarterbacks in his prime, which makes him elite at that point. So from that point forward, once he was established, Sloan was, was there for most of that time. So you look at that from the Broncos, they have – Young quarterbacks on the roster. We'll see what happens with Paxton Lynch. We'll see what happens with Simeon. Chad Kelly's on the roster. So he's got expertise and experience in developing young guys, but he also knows how to manage and and teach and coordinate and help, you know, lead established veterans. So no matter what tact the Broncos end up taking at the quarterback position in 2018, if it's a guy like Kirk Cousins or Case Keenum, or if they end up going back to the well and bringing in a young guy, they feel like they have a pretty well-versed and experienced position coach to show them the way. And again, another situation where they need stability because this will be ever since they let Greg Knapp go, that he's, this is going to be their third quarterbacks coach. So they need stability. They need a single kind of philosophy at the position that they can move forward with. Next, we're going to talk about Curtis Modkins, hired to coach the running backs. Of course, he replaces the loved and uh, tenured Eric Studisville. Modkins is a guy who has 23 years uh, of coaching experience and has spent the last 10 years in the NFL as an offensive coordinator or a running backs coach. He's worked with three different 1,000-yard rushers during that span, which includes C.J. Spiller, with Buffalo in 2012, Reggie Bush with Detroit in 2013, Jordan Howard with Chicago this past season. So he's a guy that, you know, the Broncos were looking for kind of a culture change in that room, maybe a guy who didn't have so many deep roots and personal relationships, you know, such strong personal relationships, a guy that can maybe take a, a little bit more of a business approach in that room, push, motivate these guys. Of course, you always want the technique uh, and the information that is being taught to be done efficiently and effectively. But at the same time, these are professionals. These aren't college kids. These aren't supposed to be your best friends. These are guys that your job is to get them in a position that when their number is called, 
they can provide the most production possible for their team. And that was one of the issues, you know, skirting between the lines with Eric Studisville is they just felt like too much of it had become personal, maybe not as much, for lack of a better term, professionalism, urgency. I'm not saying that in any any sense that Studisville was unprofessional, but just rather they needed to create a different type of mentality, a different paradigm in that room. And they're hoping that a guy like Modkins, who does have some experience getting production out of the position, can do just that. But it will be interesting if they keep a guy like C.J. Anderson, who's going to count for $4.5 million against the cap in 2018. If they keep him, it'll be interesting to see how C.J. responds to this different type of coaching because it'll be the first time he's been coached by someone not named Studisville as a pro. So we'll see how that shakes out. But it could also you know, provide some some great results for the young guy, D'Angelo Henderson. The Broncos are almost certainly going to go back to the well and draft at least one running back. And then also, of course, Devontae Booker. So he's got a young room. He's got a proven room if they end up keeping C.J. Anderson. So he's Modkin stepping into a room with some pretty, uh, pretty good and established and exciting tools. And then lastly, what we're going to talk about on the coaching, well, two, I'm going to move through these last two really quickly. At wide receivers, the guy replacing Tyke Tolbert is Zach Azani. Uh, this is a guy I've been coaching 20 years. Last year, he spent coaching the wide receivers for John Fox and the Chicago Bears. Plenty of experience. Most of his time has spent, of course, at uh, the University of Tennessee. But he's he uh, is a former wide receiver himself. So he, he's a guy that can coach from his own personal experience as a player. Been there, done that, knows how it goes, and can pass that on to his uh, the guys in his room so he's a younger guy it'll be interesting to see how he fits in but just some kind of like the the last guy modkins azani's just a different energy they're bringing in a new energy they're bringing in people who can raise the ships get a higher level of production out of some of these guys that maybe got a little bit too comfortable and of course with the wide receivers one of the biggest issues i think that the broncos had to reckon with in terms of parting ways with tolbert was just a lack of development Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, fine. But beyond them, he didn't really have Tolbert a success story. And meanwhile, the Broncos kept loading the cupboard, right? They kept either drafting guys or signing uh, talented free agents. Cody Latimer seemed to kind of turn the corner toward the end of his fourth year, but injuries kind of kept us from really seeing him probably uh, achieve his his highest potential in his final uh, year of his rookie deal. But then you've got up-and-comers. I mean, you've got Isaiah McKenzie, who does have phenomenal playmaking ability if he can manage to get down his ball security issues. you got a guy in Carlos Henderson coming up, and we'll talk more about this in the mailbag segment at the end of the show. But a guy like Carlos Henderson, who has potential coming out of his ears. I mean, this is a guy who has been compared to guys I really trust in terms of scouting and personnel evaluation. This is a guy who's been Henderson compared to Steve Smith, formerly of the Panthers, formerly of the Baltimore Ravens. So there's talent there, but they need a guy who can come in, motivate, inspire, teach, and lift these guys and translate that from the classroom and the practice field to the playing field. And so they're hoping very much, they believe that Zach Azani, that's kind of a tricky one, A-Z-Z-A-N-N-I, Zach Azani can get that done. And then lastly, we'll touch on this one, Greg Williams hired to assistant uh, DB's coach who replaces Johnny Lynn. Now this is of course not the same Greg Williams that was involved in Bounty Gate in New Orleans. This is a different Greg Williams who uh, has 15 seasons of coaching experience. His last gig uh, was coaching the the Colts defensive backs for the last two seasons. Now he's going to come in. Johnny Lynn was not the quote-unquote secondary coach. That belongs to Marcus Robertson. But Johnny Lynn was Robertson's assistant. They fired Lynn on Black Monday. They're bringing in Greg Williams, who is going to also help Robertson coach the no-fly zone and maybe try and get a little bit better production out of some of the younger guys because at the top, you know, still the Broncos got good production out of guys like Tlaib, guys like Harris, Bradley Roby, and even Darian Stewart, who I can understand some said, you know, him taking a little bit of a step back, but losing his partner in crime in T.J. Ward and having to make up for some of the uh, inexperience of a guy like Justin Simmons, I think set him back a little bit. So getting a guy like Greg Williams to come in and, and help kind of stabilize that situation, get better production out of the young guys, specifically what I'm talking about, 
Justin Simmons, I think he's going to be okay. He just continued, you know, he showed a lot of great progress uh, in his second season. He's going to be fine. Will Parks, frankly, I mean, he's a physical guy. I like what he can do in the box, but as a coverage guy, he's just, he leaves much to be desired. And in his second year, I felt like he, even with increased playing time, took more of a step back than rather a couple of leaps forward like you would hope. So turn that ship around. Brendan Langley, the third-round pick, he was an abject failure as a rookie. And then some of the younger guys that came off the practice squad, undrafted rookies like Marcus Rios, the corner out of UCLA, DeMonte Thomas, the safety out of, where was he, Michigan. And then, of course, Jamal Carter, who made the final roster out of training camp out of Miami. So it's all about development. It's all about translating the talent and, and potential and what they're learning in the classroom and the field onto the actual field of play. So overall, you know what? As it so often is with coaches who don't have a ton of, uh, you know, you, a lot of these guys you probably never even heard their names before, right? And especially special teams coaches, you don't often hear their names talked about and broadcasts and written articles and stuff like that. But as, as so often the case with coaching hires, you don't really know how they're going to shake out until you see them on the field. So overall, like I said, the biggest takeaway from this is hiring the right guy, Tom McMahon, at special teams. He's got the production. He's got the experience to back it up. But it will be interesting to see if some of these other guys can get better production out of their respective rooms than the Broncos have had over the last couple of years. All right, so I do have some more to get to. But first, I want to talk to you about why you need to become a Mile High Huddle VIP subscriber. The Huddle Up podcast, listen, this is an extension of what we do at milehighhuddle.com. Our approach to covering the Broncos isn't just about reporting the news, because everybody does that. And in fact, that's what most sites stick to is the newswire, because that's what gets the clicks. What we do is we focus on diving deep. We want to break it all down on the Broncos, whether it's all 22 film reviews, X's and O's, you know, deep dive player evaluation, especially heading into the offseason with the draft, free agent personnel analysis. We save our best content for our VIP subscribers. To become a Mile High Huddle VIP and get access to 100% of our written analysis, just click on the green banner at the top of the website. You go to milehighhuddle.com, you can see the big green banner, it says subscribe. Click there, choose a monthly or annual subscription. If you go monthly, you're going to pay 5 bucks a month. Go annual, you'll pay 49 for the year, which saves you 11 bucks overall. From there, you get access to everything we produce, which includes any insider info we pick up along the way, which for mo- most of the time, we get our insider stuff from the scouting community during the draft, but also during the season. So it can be valuable, including, I mean, we need to know what Denver's intentions are going to be at the Senior Bowl. We're going to see that up close and personal with Carl Dummler being there. The NFL Scouting Combine, Nick Kendall's going to be there. So as a VIP, one thing, you get some bennies. You get 20% off on all orders through Fanatics, which is the same merchandiser used by the Broncos and the NFL. You want to get a jersey, get a hat, a poster, whatever it might be, you can get 20% off as a VIP with anything purchased through Fanatics. We work hard at Mile High Huddle to bring you the best Broncos coverage and analysis on the web But we do ask for your support by becoming a VIP subscriber. Pull the trigger. You have my word. You won't be disappointed. All right, so moving on here, I want to touch on the Senior Bowl. So great news. This is a phenomenal opportunity. The Denver Broncos, because they finished 5-11, because they're not still playing in January, they qualified to be one of the teams to coach the Senior Bowl. Now, if you don't know, each and every year at the Senior Bowl, two NFL coaching staffs are tapped to coach the North, and the South team, respectively. Now, this time around, the Broncos are going to coach the North team. It's going to take place on Saturday, the game itself, January 27th, but the Senior Bowl is all about the week of practice leading up to the game. It's really an interesting thing. I've covered the Senior Bowl in person. I've been there for the weigh-ins. I've been there for the practices. I've been there for all of it, but the Senior Bowl is not about the game. It's about that week of practices because what happens is you have these NFL coaching staffs working with these seniors, some of the best NFL prospects in the nation, and you're down there as a media member, your boots on the ground, you're watching these coaches work these prospects, many of which are learning technique and learning different things and the intensity level going up a few notches. So you kind of get an up-close and personal understanding of how these 
these prospects are going to respond to that type of next level coaching. But for the Broncos, I mean, they're going to, it's already been announced that Baker Mayfield, quarterback, Oklahoma, Heisman Trophy, is going to be on the North team. So with the fifth overall pick in the draft, I mean, we'll see what happens in free agency. But if they swing and miss on a guy like Kirk Cousins, they're in almost certainty they're going to use that fifth pick on a quarterback. Now, the good news is a guy like Sam Darnold of USC, for the last several months, we didn't know if he was going to declare. He did. Sam, uh, Josh Rosen, excuse me, from UCLA, same thing. We didn't know if he was going to declare, but he did. And my, oh, my, how that benefits the Broncos because you look at the first four picks in the draft, number one, you have Cleveland, of course. They're going to take a quarterback. It'll probably be Darnold or uh, Josh Rosen. But it wouldn't surprise me to, to see them do, you know, go sideways and get a guy like Josh Allen. But regardless of what happens, the second pick is the New York Giants. They need a succession plan to Eli Manning. There's a very, very good chance they're also going to take a quarterback. So let's just assume for the sake of argument, you know, by and large, it's a little bit different. It's not absolute, but by and large, consensus in the scouting community, in the draft community, is that Darnold and Rosen are the top two quarterbacks in the class, respectively. So let's just assume they're the first two off the board. Number three, you have Indianapolis, okay? The expectation is, I mean, there's some murkiness there. We're not 100% sure, but they still have Andrew Luck. The expectation is they're going to be okay at quarterback. They're going to want to get someone who can, you know, playmaker or, or on offense, someone like Saquon Barkley out of Penn State, maybe one of the top tackles, or even a big-time impact player on defense. They need to get Andrew Luck some help so that when he does return, you know, he's he's got some help there. So I don't see Indy as a risk to draft a quarterback. And then we get to number four again, Cleveland Browns. Having already taken a quarterback, they're going to do something else. And then you have the Broncos, right? So in that scenario, who knows, because the Senior Bowl can vault guys up draft boards. We, we've seen it happen multiple times. The most recent and obvious case, of course, was Carson Wentz, who was a small school guy at North Dakota State, right? Goes to the Senior Bowl. You know, he was viewed before that as, a, as kind of a mid-round pick, maybe early day two pick at the best. But because of his performance at the Senior Bowl, practicing with those pro coaches, and then what he produced on the field during the game, that vaulted him all the way up. By the time he got to the combine, I mean, he, it was him or Goff. I mean, it was basically take your pick. And Philadelphia was lucky enough to get him. But that is what the Senior Bowl, for, for the prospects who are truly motivated on improving their stock and are not fearful of damaging themselves, they get to that game and they can really spark a rise up draft boards. So that could happen with a guy like Baker Mayfield. Who knows? But if it does, so what? All that would do is make a guy like Rosen or Darnold fall. So the Broncos have a very, very good shot at getting one of the top three quarterbacks in the draft with that fifth pick if they end Kirk Cousins, okay? So it's unclear yet what team, to my knowledge anyway, Josh Allen's going to play working and teaching, literally, Baker Mayfield. So they're going to get all character, skill set, you know, ability to process information, learning, playbooks, You the whole shebang. It could be the Broncos. So this is an opportunity, and you take that and apply it to line, tight ends, DBs, linebackers, I mean, so this is a phenomenal opportunity. It's nothing to be ashamed of. I've, heard, I've seen some Broncos fans be like, oh, geez, Broncos are coaching the Senior Bowl. Jeez. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. This is a phenomenal opportunity, which is why the Broncos jumped on it. In fact, here's what Elway said, quote, we jumped at the opportunity for the Broncos to work the Senior Bowl on both the coaching and personnel sides. The experience gives us a chance to meet these prospects and get to know them on and off the field. The Senior Bowl has a great tradition. We're excited to be a part of it, close quote. So this is really cool, guys. And again, we're going to have Carl Dummler there, whom you all know very, very well. He will be in Mobile flying in Monday, so he'll be there for practice in the weigh-in on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So we're going to have a lot of great content for you, which goes back again. Make sure you're, you're a VIP subscriber because a lot of that inside info that we pick up along the way, we're going to be saving for the VIPs. So anyway, make sure you're following also Carl on Twitter, at Carl Dumbler MHH. If you're not, take care of that. Senior Bowl is not this coming week, but the next. Now, moving on, with me rocking this thing solo, I'm going to touch on just a couple of the, the uh, top names in the free agent quarterback class for 2018. In fact, I wrote a piece on Tuesday 
five veteran QBs the Broncos should avoid. If you haven't had a chance, go check that out. It included Sam Bradford, Teddy Bridgewater, Chase Daniel, Alex Smith, and Tyrod Taylor. My explanation as to why Denver should steer clear of these guys in 2018 is, is right there, which is not the topic for today's podcast. Let's head over to SpotTrack.com, take a look at some of the quarterbacks poised to hit unrestricted free agency when the new league year opens up in March, because we all know who's going to be at the top of that list, right? Kirk Cousins, 29 years old, coming off another 4,000-yard passing season, threw for 27 touchdowns against 13 picks. The wins weren't there, but he didn't get a lot of help. I mean, Washington as a roster was not very balanced. So he's currently an un, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Now, we've heard tell from guys like Adam Schefter, you know what, you need to pump the brakes on the idea that Cousins is just going to be able to hit the market free and be able to negotiate with whomever because Washington, a guy like Bruce Allen, the GM there, is at least smart enough, say what you will about him, but he's at least smart enough to know that, look, we drafted and developed this guy. We're going to get something out of him. If we don't sign him ourselves, we're at least going to get something in return. We're not just going to let him hit the open market. They'll either transition tag him or maybe even franchise tag him. And then what happens there is that forces interested teams like the Broncos to have to come to the table and not only be willing to pay whatever Kirk Cousins is going to be looking for in terms of a contract, but negotiate capital to give up to get Cousins. So who knows? Maybe... You know, you look at what San Francisco gave up to get Garoppolo, second-round pick. I mean, that was a fire sale, basically. That was Bill Belichick, if you can uh, believe the report that ESPN dropped last week. That was Belichick basically saying, you know what, Robert Kraft, you know what, Tom Brady, you guys, I'm just – you said get rid of Garoppolo. Okay, he's gone, and I got a second-round pick. A guy like Kirk Cousins, he's going to – he could command feasibly more than that. He might command a first. You know what, he might – require the Broncos to give up their fifth overall pick to get him. So ask yourself that question, because I know many of you uh, are very high on the concept of getting Kirk Cousins in Denver. And I'm not saying you're wrong, but would he be worth giving up your fifth overall pick and probably maybe even like a third-round pick just for the privilege of being able to pay him, let's say, $27, $28, $29 million a year? I've heard it said that he, he could command upwards of $90 million fully guaranteed so these are the, the issues and the questions that John Elway and the Broncos have to balance, right? They have to figure out what is in the best interest of the team. Now, I think they need to go back to the well and draft, but is that the way John Elway's thinking? You know, he just signed a new five-year deal. He's getting up there. He's 57 years old or something, something close to that, 57, 58. I think he's 57. Four years left on his deal. He's not going to do this forever. He's already reached the top of the mountain in terms of front office, just like he did as a player. He won a Super Bowl, but he signed the extension, and he wants to go off on a high note in terms of at least setting up this team for sustained success for when he does step down. His model, if we look at the past, his best success has not come from drafting quarterbacks. It came from signing a proven veteran, Peyton Manning. Now, it's very rare. It only happens every once in a while. We've touched on this in previous episodes about is there such a thing as a free agent franchise quarterback happens every once in a while but not too often in this case Kirk Cousins could very well be a franchise caliber guy so John Elway if he has a shot at getting Cousins I'm telling you right now he's going to take it he's going to take it it's just going to depend on the asking price and exactly what the conditions are to get Cousins. If it's a matter of just, if he ends up Cousins going and hitting the market free and the Broncos simply just have to negotiate with him and try and, you know, box out the other interested suitors, I don't think anything keeps Cousins from coming to Denver. If he hits the open market unrestricted, I think you might as well slap a sticker on it. He's going to be a Bronco. But those conditions, in my book, I believe Adam Schefter when he says Washington is is not going to let him just go. So that complicates the issue. Kirk Cousins, is he worth a fifth-round pick? Or excuse me, a fifth overall pick? Is he worth maybe also giving up a third-rounder? Is it worth giving up that kind of capital to get him? And that's a question the Broncos are going to have to ask themselves when free agency in the new league year officially opens up. But beyond Cousins, let's look at some of the other guys. Sam Bradford, 30 years old, coming off bunk knees, you know, for a guy who's borderline bust for being the number one overall pick in 2010. I mean, this guy's narrowly avoided the bust label. He has made some serious coin 
in the NFL. I mean, just this past year, he's been on the bench. He started two games, won them both. But the Vikings paid him $18 million bucks. Meanwhile, you got a guy like Case Keenum comes in. They're giving him $2 million bucks, and they've won a ton of games with Keenum. So Sam Bradford, I've heard tell uh, Eric Trickle, buzzed me and said, look, talk is that Bradford's going to probably hang it up because of his knees after this year, which might happen. But if he does hit the market, my advice, stay clear of this guy. He's got a losing record, and uh, all he's got to show for it is probably about $100 million in earnings, if I were to guess. He was the last, just for what it's worth, he was the last number one overall pick to negotiate his rookie contract on the old collective bargaining agreement. 2011 was the lockout which slotted first-round picks and all draft picks to a specific dollar amount. So Sam Bradford made a ton of money before even stepping foot onto an NFL practice field, and he's just gone on to continue to make a lot of money without really providing much of a return to the teams of which uh, he's played for. Next, you have a guy like Jay Cutler. A year ago, I was actually kind of intrigued about the concept of a free agent Jay Cutler possibly coming back to Denver uh, not so much anymore. I think if any, if, if 2017 proved anything about Jay Cutler, it's that he's more interested, again, in making money than really competing and uh, trying to win a championship. He's his, That ship has sailed. Next, you have a guy like Josh McCown. And this is just going down the list in order on spot track. A guy like Josh McCown, who's done some solid things. I mean, he's freaking 38 years old, but he kind of held the fort down. So if the Broncos did plan on Drafting a quarterback with that fifth overall pick, a guy like McCown would be a great bridge type of guy to come in and not necessarily start, but if you needed him to, he could. And more importantly, he could help show the ropes to your young guy like a Baker Mayfield or a Josh Rosen or whomever. So Josh McCown, even though he's old, he's not a guy that I am adverse to the Broncos possibly bringing in. Of course, not as a solution to the problem, but rather as you know, a piece to the puzzle depending on what they do in the draft. Next, you have uh, Drew Stanton. He's another kind of journeyman backup caliber guy, 33 years old. They currently have his, his uh, market value somewhere around $3 bucks a year. Similar to McCown, you could probably do worse in terms of finding a, a bridge quarterback, but not much worse. He's, he's not been able to do much in his opportunities to start in the NFL. And the same goes for the next few guys. Chad Henney, he's 32. Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's uh, 35. Fitz, you know, he's shown some good things in his career, but uh, consistency has not been one of them. Derek Anderson, they even have our old friend Mark Sanchez. And then we come to Case Keenum. Again, Minnesota's paying him $2 bucks this year. He's passed for over 3,500 yards, uh, 22 touchdowns to just seven interceptions. So if you're looking for an efficient guy who seems to have figured it out, got put on a team with a great defense and with some explosive weapons on offense, and all of a sudden, he looks like quarterback. A couple more here. I'm going to skip Matt Moore. I'm going to skip Scott Tolsey. I'm going to go to Teddy Bridgewater. Now, Bridgewater's interesting. You take away that freak injury where he dislocated his knee, fully uh, tore his ACL, and were it not for some very Johnny-on-the-spot stuff by the training staff, that the moment he was injured, could have lost his leg. The Vikings saved his leg rehabbed him, and here he is. Hitting unrestricted free agency. Now, if you go back in time, in case you guys forgot, 2015, and the Broncos played the Vikings in 2015, but he led them to an 11-5 and record as the starter in his second year. Went to the Pro Bowl. I mean, the future was bright for Teddy Bridgewater before that horrific injury. So why not get, go get a guy like him, right? He's 26 years old, very exciting young player. The problem is, the only uh, terms in which I would, I would say the Broncos should go after a guy like Bridgewater is if he were willing to take some kind of a prove-it deal. And he might be. He might be. But if he were willing to take an incentive-laden deal to come to a place like Denver and compete, built-in defense, some weapons on, on offense, an offensive line in flux, but pretty good conditions for a young quarterback, we've seen him do s- s- great things. I mean, he went 11-5 and five with a good defense and some even less pieces offensively in, in 2015. So the only problem is that knee. And I'm not convinced he's ever going to be fully recovered from, from such a setback. I mean, he's come in, and I think he's thrown the ball two or three times 
since coming back to the team. He was activated November 8th, but we don't, until he plays a meaningful game and even more than one, you're never really going to know, right? Because the Vikings aren't going to, I mean, he's the, he's the backup with Sam Bradford on injured reserve. Teddy Bridgewater is the backup, but if the Vikings were were a little bit unconvinced as to his future viability, they're not going to come out and say it. So it'll be interesting. Bridgewater, it's a, it's a bummer because I've always been a big fan of, of Teddy Bridgewater. I thought he had a lot of potential. I love his arm talent. Not the strongest arm, but he's got accuracy. He's got touch. He's got poise. And he's got some of the athleticism that you like in terms of manipulating the pocket, getting outside if he needs to. Interesting guy, but that medical jacket scares the – crap out of me so you can go down and one of the last guys you got chase daniel i talked about him in the five guys to avoid peace you know if you're looking for a bridge guy you could do worse chase daniel's another candidate if you end up going with the fifth overall pick to draft a quarterback chase daniel's another one of those options to bring in nurse him along and maybe start a game or two whatever but lastly you have jimmy garoppolo people forget he is on deck to be an unrestricted free agent john lynch came out and said publicly that the team is convinced in San Francisco that Garoppolo is, in fact, a franchise quarterback. So they're going to pay him. They have a ton of cap space. Garoppolo's not going to hit the market. You'll you'll hear a deal announced, and that'll be that. 5-0 is a starter there, so you're not going to see Garoppolo hit the market. But that's how it looks. That's what the market looks like this year for the Broncos. And really, if you look at it, you swing and miss on Kirk Cousins, the best of the rest is Case Keenum and Teddy Bridgewater, who comes with some major concerns. So it would not surprise me if the Broncos miss on Kirk Cousins. I think they're just going to have to go back to the draft, being that they're in such a fortuitous place to get one of the top three quarterbacks this time around. So before we get out of here, running a little bit long, but uh, it's that time of the week. Take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag because we are your Broncos priests. We're here to offer absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. And the first one comes from at Mile High Maniac on Twitter. His question, where does Clint Kubiak fit in or does he? Well, that's an interesting question because his dad's in the front office now and he served as the quarterback's coach. He was a quality control guy, if I recall, offensive quality control guy until McCoy was fired and Bill Musgrave was promoted offensive coordinator. Then they moved up Clint Kubiak to be the quarterback's coach but now that they filled that position, where does Kubiak fit in? I know they were considering him, reportedly anyway, for the vacant wide receiver's job, but they filled that. So I'm not sure. My instinct tells me because of daddy, because of his ties to Denver, uh, he's going to find a way to stick around, even if it's simply as an offensive assistant, you know, quality control, breaking down film, stuff like that. They'll find a, a place for Clint Kubiak. But I do know this. He is viewed as a talented young coach you know in potentia if you will so it'll be interesting to see if they do find a more prominent role for him but right now offensively all the key positions have been filled and they could have gone with Kubiak but they chose instead to go with different guys but I think he'll stick around in Denver unless another team comes knocking and offers him a better a better opportunity last question then we're out of here from Chad Montana on Twitter at cmontana91 his question what do you see our wide receiver core looking like next year? Who do we keep, trade, cut, and will Henderson compete for wide receiver three or even two, depending on what happens? So let's touch on who the Broncos are going to have under contract, at least right now, for 2018. Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, both under contract. Cody Latimer's hitting unrestricted free agency, unless the Broncos do indeed uh, re-sign him. Benny Fowler, who's on deck to be a restricted free agent. And then you have Isaiah McKenzie, Carlos Henderson, who spent his rookie year on injured reserve after the Broncos drafted him in the third round. Jordan Taylor. We love sunshine. Trusty Jordan Taylor. And then three futures receivers. The Broncos last week signed 10 players to futures. Three of them were wide receivers. That might tell you something about their intentions with Sanders and Latimer and Fowler. They are. River Craycraft, Tim Patrick, and Jordan Leslie. So that's the bird's eye view of what the Broncos have. To answer your questions, what do I see our receiving core looking like next year? I think one of those top four guys on the depth chart is for sure gone. My gut tells me 
if I had to say for sure, it's going to be Benny Fowler. But I think the Broncos are going to look to move Emmanuel Sanders. In fact, if you go back, uh, I think it was Monday night, Bob Morris published a phenomenal piece on milehighhuddle.com that's open to everybody. It's not VIP, so anyone can go read it. That talks about the post-June 1st designation and what that means in terms of cutting players, how that affects the salary cap, allocating cap hits and all that. And he focuses on Emmanuel Sanders as a candidate for that post-June 1st cut. So go check that out. But it would not surprise me. I think the Broncos will shop him for sure. If they don't get takers, there is a solid chance that they could cut him with that June 1st, post-June 1st designation. Cody Latimer, you know what? Before he missed the last two games with that knee injury that bothered him all year, I was absolutely certain that the Broncos were going to re-sign him. In fact, we had sources tell us that they were working on something. Uh, but now I'm not so sure. You know, he's he's a great special teamer. He, sh- he showed some progress as a receiver in his fourth year. But what's he really worth? And can the Broncos count on him? I mean, if they invest money in him, whatever it might be, two or three or four million a year to come back and be the gunner and the special teams captain and chip in as a receiver, can you count on him? I mean, he's missed a lot of games. You go back the last couple of years, he's missed a lot of games. So I'm not as absolutely sure, although I still think there's a good chance Cody Latimer returns. Benny Fowler, listen, big-bodied possession receivers are a dime a dozen in the NFL. And if Fowler has proven anything in his time with the Broncos, he had some flashes in 2015. But these last two years, he's been plagued by inconsistencies, drop passes in key moments. If I'm the Broncos, I'm not even bothering put tendering him at any level as a restricted free agent. I'm letting him hit the market. Catch you later. See ya. Isaiah McKenzie, don't give up on him yet. Okay, This is a young guy, again, that has plenty of talent. They just got to get his uh, what's going on between his ears right, and hopefully the new coach uh, as wide receivers coach can take care of that. Carlos Henderson, to get back to your question, is he going to compete for wide receiver three? Absolutely. Now, he struggled acclimating to the playbook as a rookie. That was the biggest thing that was holding him back in camp. But once he gets that stuff in, and he's been with the team all year, once he soaks all that in and his natural ability and he's not thinking, he's just reacting, he's just playing, it's going to rise to the surface. And you're going to see Carlos Henderson, mark my words, do some very good things for the Broncos in his second year. And I think he has long-term viability. He could compete. He could, and I know the Broncos are looking at him this way, be that number two if they get rid of Sanders. So then you got Jordan Taylor. I mean, what's not to like about this guy? He's never going to be the ball. You need a big play downfield in the fourth quarter. I love Jordan Taylor. He's going to factor in. He'll be on the roster next year. But that's all the time we have for today. You can find me on Twitter, at Chad N. Jensen. Make sure you're following my partner, at WillKey6. And if you haven't, again, I remind you, follow Carl Dumler, who's going to be down in Mobile, Alabama, in about a week, at Carl Dumler, MHH, covering the Senior Bowl, right there with the Broncos coaches, finding out the buzz, what's going on, who do they like, who's shining, who's who's you know going down in terms of stock. So make sure you follow Carl on Twitter. Tweet us your questions. We're always going to try to address your concerns on the show as often as we can. And it might be the offseason, but that doesn't mean we're going to stop podcasting. Between Will and myself, Carl and Nick, focusing on the draft, we're going to check in with you each and every week, multiple times. So be sure to subscribe and share these episodes out, you guys. Bring in some new listeners. Let's join the club. Let's grow the club. For Will, he's not with me today. I'm Chad. Talk to you soon. Mile high huddle.